the text of Isaiah chapter 55, looking at this idea of the great imitation. And if you look at Isaiah 55, it is indeed an imitation that is extended to mankind. You ever been given an invitation that you are just so eager for that event that you look forward to it, that you can't wait, you mark it down your calendar, you put all the alarms on you can in your phones, you make sure you do not miss that event. When it comes to this invitation that God is offering as we find here in Isaiah 55, that is yet another event which we do not want to miss. It's an invitation to an event that we want to desperately be a part of. So as we look at Isaiah chapter 55 this morning, I want to show the encouragement we can find from the invitation that's given in this chapter. Now I know we, you may have noticed we skipped over Isaiah 53. Don't worry, we're going to come back to that. But I want us to first look at Isaiah 55. As we look at Isaiah 55, we've broken this up in several parts this morning. We'll begin first by looking at uh, verses 1 through 5, which happens how we come and partake. Because as you look at Isaiah 55, it is filled of numerous offerings and invitations by God. There are invitations to come and to purchase, or invitations to come and find blessings. But the greatest invitation of all is to come and follow Him. And as you look at Isaiah 55, beginning here in verses 1 and 2, he says here, as you look at this, we're going to find that in these two verses, true needs are fulfilled from God. True needs are fulfilled from God. You ever have someone or know someone, maybe you yourself sometimes are guilty of confusing need and want? We need certain things, but we don't always understand that our wants sometimes can confuse themselves or allow ourselves to be confused with things we actually need. Don't get me wrong, I would love to have a certain automobile I've seen all over town, but do I really need it? Well, no, I don't. But we have to make sure we do not confuse those things. And as we look here in Isaiah 55, beginning first here in verse 1, Looking at verses 1 and 2, he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Can you imagine if the store down the street here, Alpha Market, opened up and said, Come and get what you need. You don't need to bring any money. Just come and get what you need. That place, there would be no place to park, would there? It'd be a madhouse. Don't bring any money. Just come and get what you need. You know, the reality here in verse 1, that's what God is saying. I don't want your money. I want you to come to me, which really is a sign of obedience, and I will give you what you need. And so much we're going to talk about this morning reminds us that we find when Christ says similar things there in Matthew chapter 6, when he tells us to not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, right? And we find here in verse 1, he says there, Come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Well, that's not, literally, that's not possible today. But in a spiritual sense, you can come to God and give what you need and does not require you to purchase things. When we were doing work in Majuro, the Marshall Islands, I've been there twice. Uh, Lisa and Chloe have been there once. Chuck and Jody have been there once as well. Others, hopefully in the future, I'll get to bring along with me. No subtle hints there, Chris. But anyway, uh, but when you go out there and you pass out tracks and things, 
And you would offer, you tell them, you talk to them a little about it, you, and one of the brothers who, who, who I went with said, make mention that it's free because others will come here and pass out things and they'll actually charge them for it. And I've never heard of, you hear those types of things like, oh, whatever. He goes, no, seriously, they'll, they'll charge them for it. So when you come and talk to people, make sure you let them know this is free because they'll go from walking away to turning, turning back and actually listening to what you're saying. And that's what God is telling us here. He doesn't want us to purchase things from Him. He wants us to come to Him in obedience. And He will give us what we need. And uses this idea of the physical things here being put for the spiritual. When He talks about the food and the wine and all these things, people want to get hung up on the wine, relax. We're not talking about God telling you to come and get drunk. That's not what He's talking about. Why well, means more than just that. But we look here in verse 1. He says, come and what? Get what you need without money and without price. He provides all that man needs. As we look at verse 2, he says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And the idea is, seems to be pretty clear there. Why do you spend your money and your effort and your time on things that don't bring you true satisfaction? Now, that's a question we all can ask ourselves, myself included. Why am we doing this? Because it's a waste of time. For what does not satisfy, he says in verse 2. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So again, he's putting the physical for the spiritual. He's not literally talking about why you spending money on, on what is not bread. But that is, why are you spending your time on spiritual things that do not bring spiritual satisfaction. There are those today who go out and they attend various places and their soul is not being helped. In fact, their soul is being hindered. Many of us, if not all of us, drove by probably at least one denomination on the way here, right? We've had them one time, the one down here is now the Benson, there used to be a denomination. There's, they're all around us, right? And so you pass them. And they all have people going there for various different reasons. But as the writer points out here in verse 2, the Lord here is speaking with the Lord here saying, Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And not talking about physical, he's talking about spiritual. So what do we do? We go to that which is spiritually good. And that can only be a reference to the truth. Man's teaching and man's ideas are not good for man. No, in fact, they actually pull us away from where we need to be. There are a lot of things you can eat physically that, yes, you think, okay, this is going to satisfy me, but in, actual, in actuality, it's actually going to harm you, right? That's why there's things called diets that actually, if you don't follow them to some degree, that your, your things you eat can actually harm you. Well, spiritually speaking here in verse 2, when you don't do what is good, you don't eat what is good, that is feasting upon the truth, it's going to actually harm you. You think about there in, in the book of Matthew, when Christ tells us to basically to feast upon his word. Remember, he references his food is not from earth, it is the word of God, it is the will of God. And so again, physical putting forward the spiritual. Here, eat what is good. He's not talking about picking the right food. He's talking about picking the right spiritual food. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. 
God says to listen carefully and choose what is spiritually good, to choose what is truth. You know, sometimes what's good for us, it's not always easy, is it? You ever notice the word diet, the first three letters are D-I-E? means it's not going to be easy, right? Well, you think about the things our doctors tell us to do. They're not always easy for us, but they're the best things for us. Most cases, right? And we think about with God, it's always what's best for us. In Matthew chapter 6, when Christ says, don't worry about all these other things, just put your focus on me, is because that's what's best for you. Because worrying can actually, if you're not careful, can actually cause you physical and mental harm. Nice what he says, don't worry about those things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Let your soul delight itself in abundance, verse 2. Looking at verse 3 through 5, he continues this invitation by saying, Come to me, in verses 3 through 5. He says, Incline your ear and come to me here, and your soul shall live. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Now, in this text, David sometimes refers to David. Sometimes he actually refers to what well, some commentators call the second David, being actually a reference to Christ. Now, we see here in verse 3, he mentions here the sure mercies of David. Well, David found many mercies from God. But can it also be true that Christ provides mercies for man today? We look at verse 3 again. He says, incline your ear and come to me. You think you ever think about that phrase, incline your ear, what that means? You ever talk to someone and realize they really don't want to listen? They're not inclining their ear to you, right? And that's what God is saying here. Incline your ear. Actually listen to what I'm saying. And come to me. Here. And your soul shall live. That implies if you don't listen to God, if you don't listen to the truth, that your soul will not live. In the sense, it will not see heaven as its home. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of God. Now, in a very broad sense, one of the most everlasting covenants between man and God is that you obey God. God is well pleased with you. Thereby, you get to go to heaven. In the New Testament, the, the day and age which we now live, not much has changed. You obey the gospel. You continue to obey the gospel by your daily life. And you get to have heaven as your home. That everlasting coming. Some things just don't change. That everlasting covenant, the everlasting agreement between God and man. We find next in verse 4, he says, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. Again, this him, going back to verse 3, many apply this to Christ. Christ being a witness to what? To the truth. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader, a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Did God ever glorify Christ? Yes. You remember on Mount Transfiguration? While Peter's going on about building tabernacles for those other three men who were there with him. And God speaks from the, from the sky basically and says, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Which means listen to him. By doing that, he's glorifying his Son. We also know, as you look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, this won't be on the screen, but Revelation chapter 1, 
And looking at verse 5, here the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, being the first one to die, rise again, and never die again, and the ruler of the king over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is a faithful what? Witness. Witness to what? To the truth. He dwelled with God, now dwells with God once again. The truth, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over all the kings of the earth. Again, going back to verse uh, 4 and 5 here. He goes on to say here in verse 5, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, a nation who do not know you shall run to you. Those who do not know God are going to come to the truth. We read about, read about how in Acts 2, 3,000 souls were saved. Were that the only time souls were saved in the book of Acts? No. The only time we hear about souls being saved during those books we have recorded during the New Testament age. Were there other souls who were saved from Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and on and on it goes? Were there others who were saved during the time period of those books being written? Yes. There's those being saved because they obeyed the gospel. And they were coming from where? Literally from everywhere. That's the idea. From all nations. How many times do we read about in the Bible, even during the time of Christ on the earth, where multitudes came from him from all different areas? People crossed great places and great distances to come to where Christ was. How badly they want to hear the words of Christ? Do you remember the paralytic? And when they came to, to see Christ and hear him, it was so crowded they just took the roof off the house and lowered him down. They came from everywhere to hear what it meant to, to, to hear the truth, what it meant to obey God, all those things. Because of, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Glorified who? Glorified Christ. They will come and he will be glorified because God had glorified him, that is the Messiah, among the people. As you look at John chapter 17, looking at verses 4 and 5. In John 17, again this will be on the screen, verses 4 and 5, says here again Christ speaking. He says, I have glorified you on the earth, speaking of God, and I have finished the work which you have given to me. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Was God glorifying Christ? Yes. Why? Because he was fulfilling God's will to the letter. And God glorified him for that. We continue reading here in verses 6 and following. We find the idea how we should seek Jehovah, that is God, while he may be found. You look at verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 55. He says here, beginning in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That idea of while he may be found sounds particularly interesting, doesn't it? When can a person no longer come to God? When their heart stops. If we waste our life in rebellion to God, there's going to come a time where he no longer can be found. In the sense, we no longer can come to him. The only time we have to come to God is while we are still living. And every day we spend in rebellion against God is a day that is wasted and a day closer to death. 
Now, some might say, well, you're just trying to scare us. No, but everybody does die eventually. Either Christ comes back or you die. It's not complicated to figure out, is it? And so what do we do? We prepare ourselves to be, to be on the right side with God. And we do that by obedience to the gospel. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God can be found by those who desire to come to him. But those who are rebellious will never find him. And if they die in the rebellion, he'll never be found by them. Man is to forsake wickedness and not God. As we look here in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Then return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Just come back is the, is the idea there in verse 7. Forsake what? The wicked way. The way of sin. That sinful lifestyle. And the righteous man his thoughts. So he is for, to forsake his, or the unrighteous man his thoughts. Or to forsake those, uh, those unrighteous, those wicked ways of thinking. And he is returned to who? To the Lord. Because he is the only one that can provide spiritual pardon and forgiveness. And make a person pleasing in the sight of God. He is the only one. Never once does the Bible say go unto Baal. Never once does the Bible say go unto Peter or Paul. He says come unto the Lord. Now there are those today who unfortunately say if you want to have your, make yourself right, go and talk to the priest. Go and talk to the reverend. You ever say, well go and talk to the preacher. Well the preacher should point you back to the Bible. Which points us to the Lord. Come to the Lord there in verse 7. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When the person repents of their sins and comes back to God, if they have obeyed the gospel, that's the picture here. They have been following God, they have departed, now they're coming back. And they do so by repentance. If we're not a Christian, we, do, we come to God for the first time by obeying the gospel. And there he again provides mercy and pardon to us as well. Man is to forsake wickedness and not God. Turn to him and mercy will be found. Looking at verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55. We find that God's ways are elevated above man's. He, he, God's elevated righteous ways are described here in verses 8 and 9. You ever hear someone say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Or I'm just going to do things my way. It was a man years ago, he had a song, and I did it my way. Not a very good song. Is there who sang it? You look at verses 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts, this is the Lord speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we should be grateful for that, that God is wiser than us. He is more righteous than us. And He is more in every possible category. He is more than we are. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Notice how he uses it. Well, he could pick anything to describe how, how, much, how better his ways are than man's. And he chooses earth and the heaven. Well, how big a difference is that? It's monumental. You can't even measure it. That's how far above his ways are above man's. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. So it's not just his ways. His very thoughts are on a higher plane of righteousness than man's. And aren't we thankful for that? Aren't we glad that God's ways are so much better than ours? I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been trying to do, accomplish a certain task and someone come along and say, you know, there's a better way to do that. And with God, he always has a better way. He always has a way that is truly righteous and will benefit us in the very best possible way. And for that reason, his ways are higher than our ways. We look at verses 10 and 11 of Isaiah 55. We find that a word will go out. And so we go from, the, from God providing all blessings to the invitation that God provides to God giving pardon to God's ways being higher than our ways. And we find here now his words going, going to go out no matter what mankind attempts to do. Now Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. He says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that may give seed to the sower and bread to the ear. He's, he's pointing out a process that we cannot stop. You cannot stop the rain, can you? Can you push it back up into the sky? No. Can you push the snow back up into the sky? That's what he's saying. No, you can't do that. And he uses that to illustrate how God's word is going to go out, and you cannot hold it back. Verse, tw verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall pro prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It cannot be hindered. God's word is going to go out regardless and accomplish his will regardless of what mankind does today. We talk about censorship today in many ways. Friends, that's been around for the beginning of time. What did Satan do to Eden? Or to Eve, to, to, to Eve, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He censored God's word by changing it, didn't he? You shall not surely die. Censored it, changed it, altered it. There are those days still try to do the very same thing. And God points out here in verse 11 that his word's going to go forth from his mouth. It's not going to return to him void. It's, it's not going to come back to him having not completed its task. It's going to go out. That's what was God's what was the purpose of God's word to go out and for others to hear it. It is not forced obedience. It is going out. God's word is going to go out no matter what. Man can respond however man decides to respond, but his word is going out. Looking at verse eleven, it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the vein for which I sent it. When God's word touches the heart of man, and man's heart is willing to receive it, it changes everything from the inside out. And that's what we find here in verse 11. It will prosper the thing for which, it sent, for which I sent it. When God's word is received, it's going to prosper and do what it's supposed to do. And that is change mankind from the very inside. Man can choose to reject it, but it still goes out. Man can choose to despise it. But it still goes out. Man can attempt to censor it, and it will still go out. Some lessons. Well, we'll get that here in a moment. Get him myself. Verses twelve and thirteen of Isaiah fifty-five. Go led by God. Uh, the faithful will be led with joy and be led out with peace. 
You notice he starts back in the beginning of Isaiah 55 with mankind. He pushes mankind towards repentance, towards blessings, towards the words going out. Then he closes this chapter as we have divided for us today, coming back to mankind and what we should be doing. For ye shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. That's not talking about literally, is it? No. He's saying you're going to be filled with joy when you allow that word that goes out to change you. When we will not harden our hearts, if we will not be proud and stiff-necked, but allow God's word to work in us, and doing so by obeying the gospel, we can prosper in the, in the way which God wants us to prosper. We can rejoice, as we find here in verse 12, as God wants us to rejoice. You shall go out with joy, be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So God's people will have peace and a cause for rejoicing. And it seems like the picture is pointing here is that all those, everyone around, will rejoice. He pictures even nature as if it's rejoicing because of God. When everything is done according to God's word and following his way, his word, his commands, everything gets better. Looking at verse 13. Instead of the thorn, instead of the thorn, instead of the thorn shall come up in the, up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that, that shall not be cut off. Instead of hardship, blessings come as a result of obedience. Doesn't mean naysayers won't come up, but blessings will come from God. Instead, the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for the everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Hardships will seem to pass away, and blessings will come forth. Now some lessons for us today. Fulfillment of our needs can only be found in God. We find that going back to Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Man's reminded once again that God is all that we need. Isn't it interesting how many times the Bible points that out over and over and over and over again? That God is all that we need. Old Testament, New Testament. You know about Adam and Eve in the garden. Did they have everything they needed? Yes. But they still turned what they did not have to what was forbidden. Which really gives us an insight to mankind's shortcomings. Mankind is tempted and we can give in to things that we have no business being involved in. And no doubt it costs them dearly and it costs us dearly as well. Man is reminded not, not to waste time and energy looking elsewhere, but to turn to God while he can be found. Isaiah 55 and verse 6, right? Remember in previous verses he says, why do you waste your money on things that do not satisfy? As he says, bread that does not satisfy. We must turn to God to find true satisfaction and to have all of our needs met. Again, we go back to, to Matthew 6 if we wanted to and look at that again as well. Our second lesson, and there's many we could point out here today, but our second lesson I want us to look at is that God's will will be accomplished. It will be done. His word will not return to him void, as we saw there in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Man is reminded. Uh, that God's will will be accomplished regardless of the vain attempts of others. His word will not fail, but will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. 
You know, a lot of things are hindered today in various ways. And even sometimes Bible-related things are hindered on, in various ways and on purpose. I've experienced it. I'm sure others I know around, around the brother have experienced things being hindered on purpose. We're talking about technology or other ways as well. But God's word still goes out. You ever seen, there was an old Three Stooges video where they were plumbers. You can imagine how well that went. But they were trying to repair a leak in a pipe, and as soon as they fixed one, another one popped up. They fixed another, that one popped up. It's kind of the word of God is. You try to stop it here, it just goes out somewhere else, just a little bit further down. It comes back, and it goes again, it goes again. It's like that leak that doesn't go away in a good way. It keeps going out. You can't stop it. As we close this morning, we must remember that man has an open invitation from God, but like any invitation, requirements are involved. The first, a positive response. You know, getting invitation is great, but don't you have to respond to it? Generally speaking, there is a, you know, reservation date, right, to notify them by a certain time. When does our reservation date come to an end? When we leave this earth, when our heart stops beating. You know, it's very, it's always unwise to wait to the very last minute to reserve something, isn't it? You're trying to reserve something last minute. I know I'm not the only one and it doesn't really work out so well. And sometimes you say, oh, I'll just do it later. And you forget all about it and it's too late. You can't reserve anything. You know, with God's invitation for man, if we wait too long, there's no going back and saying, oh, I'm meant to do that. Oh, I'm meant to listen. Oh, I'm meant to obey. It's too late. If we don't re respond to God's invitation before it is too late, then we will have no chance of being pleasing inside of God. We think about this positive response, obeying the gospel is the only proper response. Man must be wise enough to take advantage of God's invitation. Every opportunity has an end date. You think about that, every opportunity has an end date. Doesn't matter if you're talking about some sale on some type of tool or whatever it may be, or everything has an end date, doesn't it? God's invitation has an end date as well. And if we wait too long, we'll find ourselves on the day of judgment with an expired invitation, and we can't do anything about it. The excuses will not matter. The oh, I meant to do that will not matter. We want to make sure that we do not wait too long. That we make sure we take the time to understand what God wants from us. And that we understand we, re we respond according to what God requires of us. There's a lot of preconceived ideas. Ideas have been pushed in our heads over the years that when we open up the Bible, we realize that that's really not the case. Well, those things I've been heard over the years, the things I've been taught over the years, they don't really line up with the Bible. That's why we want to respond we want to make sure first we respond with knowledge and knowing what God requires of us. And God requires of us to hear that word, to hear his word, to, to believe that Christ is the Son of God, to repent of our sins, to confess that Christ is the Son of God, to be immersed in baptism, so our sins can be washed away. Galatians also tells us we're at the same time we're added to the body of Christ, which is the church, and then remain faithful to God. And that's when, we, that's when we have fully re, re, received and obeyed the open invitation from God. This morning, if you haven't done that, we'd be glad to assist you.
If you are a Christian and have fallen away, you need to ask for prayers or words of encouragement. We'd love to do so. We'd love to help you any way that we can. That's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>